brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hello, my name's Christopher. I'm something of a movie fanatic. Hi, my name is Patrick, and uh, I have a very short attention span. In Must Watch Movies, a new podcast from the Zero Science Podcast Network, I'm going to try to put some culture into Patrick's trash brain. In each installment, Christopher will choose a critically acclaimed film for me and my guests to watch for the very first time. I'll open up each episode with why I selected the film in question and what I hope Patrick and his guests will get out of it. Meanwhile, my guests and I will attempt to give an objective take on a film that's been revered by many for years and years. So grab some popcorn and snuggle up on the couch while you listen to a Philistine stumble his way through some of the greatest works put to celluloid. Coming in May, be sure to check out Must Watch Movies on the Zero Science Podcast Network or wherever you download podcasts. Ugh, damn it, I burned the popcorn. That was one of the better ones we've done. Mm. Yeah, that was a good clap. All right, all right. <laughs> Learn to compensate. Hey, everybody. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. You already fucked me, Pat. <laughs> Call all me right. Gunter. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Jukebox Zero. It's the place where your idols come to die. I'm Lils. And I'm Patrick. In case they're... <clears throat> Sorry. What was I'm that? Pa- I'm Patrick. I, uh, I have a little... Uh, thing stuck in my throat not a coronavirus okay hey it's a coronavirus oh. joke i made a joke about the coronavirus how about Whoa, that it's, top, it's topical yeah. uh, you just got booed by our mr by our mystery guest <laughs> probably, probably for the best yet. probably for the best i'm not going to apologize for it though do you have other things to apologize for pat because now now's the time let's hear the ditty it, it's it's the apology section You got anything else to apologize for, Pat? Uh, nope, 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 nope. I I think our quarantine episodes are all going quite swimmingly. Nothing to apologize yeah, they're for. Definitely going a lot better than I thought they would. I'm gonna apologize for being really, really low energy today, just because I've had kind of a very heavy week and like the hot weather just kind of came out of nowhere yesterday, and just I am completely sapped slapped us all in the face with its humid palm <laughs> of uh of weather that sounds disgusting don't ever don't ever use those two words in sequence ever again humid palm <laughs> is, it, is it can i can i uh retro it's, my apology it's now? on it's on par with moist humid palm yeah that's, that's not good oh. 
You're still doing it. I can't. I can't stop now. <laughs> it's just. It's just uh, oozing out of me. Uh, what do you suppose our guest thinks about this? I don't. Let's I don't intru- know. Let's introduce him, shall we? Okay. Yes, please. Uh, he's a writer. He's an actor. He's an artist. He's a fellow podcaster. Check out his podcast, Weeb Trash Can. It's Byron McNeil with us today. Hi guys, Byron McNeil, aka Byron D Zero, on various facets of the interwebs. Um, I mean, techni- technically, he's not with us. None of us are with us, really. Yeah, none of, none of us, us are with either. ourselves because it's still quarantine, and we're all still insane. Ooh, yes, I've never been with it. I don't know about the rest of you guys. I used to be with I- it, but then what? It was it. <laughs> I, I became weird and scary. <laughs> it happened there to it me. Is, It'll happen to you. <laughs> There it is. There's the Simpsons references. Got to squeeze yes. one in every episode. They always come out eventually. Yes. Uh, how do you feel about humid palm, Byron? I want no part of it. I'm good. So thank you. As as well, you should not. <laughs> you're good. You're you're taking the high road. You're the only smart one here. Yeah. It, wow. I've never heard that statement referred to me at any point in my life. First time for everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. on Jukebox Zeros, you really lower your expectations <laughs> immensely. <laughs> we, we, we award the lowest of, of fruits, for sure. Oh, yes. The <laughs> okay, so that's, more, that's a more of an accurate description for me, low-hanging fruit. Fair enough, fair enough. I can roll with that. Uh, should we just go ahead and get into the album we're discussing today? Sure. sure. It's, a, it's a giant waste of time, but it, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know that yet. All right, let's talk for a second about the 1980s, and more specifically about cartoons in the 1980s. Most animation animation buffs will agree that this period of time was kind of a nadir for the medium in the West. What what are you doing, Pat? What do you think you're doing? (laughs) Pulling out the fucking MIDI guitar while I'm reading my essay. (laughs) No! Don't do that. Sorry, continue. I, 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 it's the 80s. I, I thought it would help. <laughs> it most certainly to, did not. To have a Casio beat in the background. I'm just chilling here watching the show. <laughs> it was... <laughs> what are we doing? Oh, my God. All right. Sorry. Continue, Wills. Um, it was a time of limited animation and cut corners, which worked wonders for a show's budget and ability to produce entire seasons worth of content for syndication and a heavier emphasis on cartoons as a means of selling merchandise instead of telling a story. Regardless of this, the decade spawned a slew of incredibly popular and successful franchises, despite the emphasis on quantity over quality, many of which are beloved to this day. Franchises like He-Man, My Little Pony, Transformers, but the biggest of them all was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Originally a comic book by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, it would expand into a massive franchising empire, including their iconic titular cartoon in 1987, which was originally intended to sell action figures, but would extend to feature films, innumerable spin-offs and remakes, video games, breakfast cereals, school supplies, and even toy shaving kits. Oh, and don't is- forget the turtle pies. Turtle pies? Yes. Is that exactly what it sounds like? Uh, no, they were like hostess apple pie type things with food co- with like pudding that had green food coloring in it. Cause that cause that's exactly what I was picturing. Okay. Not with real and turtle I, meat, right? But no, that wouldn't. I hope to goodness <laughs> there was. Lo- I hope to goodness that there was some print ad somewhere, just sort of knocking on the whole. 
you know, Superman versus Hostess Fruit Pies kind of thing, except with the Ninja Turtles. Because... There, actually was a, there was actually a full commercial campaign for it. Oh, yes. I am all for that. Hey, man. When it comes to pop culture, very few people can beat me in obscure knowledge. Mm. But music, you may ask? That happened, too. Okay, in August yes. of 1990, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would embark on a multi-city tour of a musical production titled Coming Out of Their Shells Tour, based around the paper-thin premise of what if Leonardo, Donatello, Raphael, and Michelangelo had a band? Why not? Of course. They have everything else. What, what do you get for the, the band of mutant turtles that have everything? <laughs> Cash cow goes... Mm-hmm. Despite the laughable and nakedly commercial concept, the Coming Out of Our Shells tour was a commercial success, even selling out Radio City Music Hall in New York, but was also thoroughly mocked as ridiculous for its lackluster plot, costumes ripped straight from the Uncanny Valley, and incredibly cheesy music. And now we're going to review the concert album, because... Yeah. What, well, like, what else do we have to what do? What the fuck? Yeah, exactly. What the fuck else exactly. are we doing with our day? I feel like that's kind of the driving force behind the majority of our decision making during this quarantine. Uh, it got me out of little. it got me out of yard work today, so that, <laughs> that's a plus. Forced me out of bed. Hmm. So before we get into the album itself, like, do you, do either of you guys have any previous experience with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise? I know, like, you picked this album out specifically, Byron, which yeah. makes me think maybe oh. you had something to say. Oh, Jesus Christ. I don't think there's enough time to describe my overall connection with the franchise. Like, I'm a lifelong Turtles fan, first and foremost. Like, I've ingested almost every single bit of media that that this juggernaut has churned out. With the exception wow. of that first with the exception of that first Michael Bay movie. The second one wasn't that mm. great either. Yeah, Out of the Shadows was yeah, it, I, I don't imagine you were missing a whole lot. Oh, no. Well, Out of the Shadows tried to make up for the mistakes of the first movie, but it it had a lot of good ideas, just never really landed there. And in my mm. opinion, the definitive version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is the 2012 series that was on Nickelodeon. Fuck you. Yeah, I've fight se- me. I've seen clips of that, and it actually looks very entertaining. I uh, what about... What about you, Pat? Uh, so what? When did the the first series, uh, the first cartoon, that series came out come in out like eighty eight, right? Eighty seven. Eighty seven. Eighty eight. Okay. Uh, so I that would have made me like three or four. Uh, <clears throat> so I was like kind of the almost the target audience for that show, uh, or, or at least like later on in the early nineties. So I definitely like bought in a little bit. To turtle fever when i was like five or six uh because it was like i don't know it's like all the other all the other kids had them and like i thought they were they were kind of cute uh in terms of like a quote-unquote action series because i was like a soft boy and like any any like usage of weapons made a show uh, an action series to me uh it, it was like kind of cute and funny so i actually like kind of enjoyed it uh not enough to like really dig too deep into the franchise and like I don't know I think I got into Garfield at some point and and it was just downhill from there (laughs) (laughs) I kind of missed the boat on Ninja Turtles like I was born in 1980 
Yeah, I was born in 1987, so I wasn't even cognizant of it until it was out and in syndication for a long while. I'm sure I caught episodes of it, but, like, for me, I didn't really start to get nostalgic for animated shows until, like, you know, Tiny Toons and Animaniacs and all those WB shows, oh, the yes. Batman animated series and all those started it, coming up. It's also an absolutely fucking ripping theme song that, that for that oh, first series. Dude, one of, like, one of the best cartoon themes ever. Always gets me pumped well, up. Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, they, they definitely went all out for the theme song, for sure. Yeah. And the animation, say, the animation in the opening cutscene was pretty dope, too. Yeah, I feel like that was a theme with a lot of 80s shows. Like, a lot of shows, the animation in the opening was just worlds better than the actual animation in the show. Yes. Not to say that... Not to say that Turtles was bad necessarily compared to, I mean, compared to what came before it, it was definitely a lot better. But having, like, gone back and watched a couple of clips, yeah, it does seem kind of limited at times. <coughs> what I will say, though, Turtles in Time, the arcade cabinet, I played the shit out of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and avoid the, if you, if you still have a 360, anyone listening, Avoid the remake, like the plague. It's a bare bones. Mm. It's a bare bones like clone of it, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I've heard it's not very good. It's gotten pretty bad reviews. Mm. Also, also, if uh, if you're a youngster and and uh, you don't love tying your shoes, uh, you can get these little turtle Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle caddies that you can clip onto your. Uh, Oh, I remember those. I totally had those. <laughs> oh, man. Do they still make those? I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. They were like a product of the 80s, too. Oh, yeah. They, they, they might have a- them on eBay or something for, you know, 100 bucks. This just occurred to me, but thinking back, I think maybe when I was like five or six, I might have had spokes on my bicycle that were in the shape of like the heads of the ninja turtles oh hell yeah i think they had them at i think they like had them at burger king or something they found their way into every child's life at that point i vaguely i vaguely recall a teenage mutant Ninja turtle burger king kids club campaign i don't yeah yeah i couldn't tell you for the life of me what the toys were but i remember seeing Mm. them in bk Trying to sell some toys, pretty much. I don't remember the toys. I do remember they had, like, the commemorative cups, though. Oh, your memory's better than mine, because I don't remember the cups at all. But, you know, I mean, so many. there were so many commemorative cups out there in, like, the ether of consumerism. It's hard <laughs> to keep track of them all. Yeah, that was definitely an artifact of the 80s and 90s, for sure. Even the early, or even the early aughts. Looking at you, mm. Lord of the Rings. Mm. <laughs> Gotta have them forgot, cups. Forgot about those. All right. I feel like we're just sort of stalling at this point. So what do you say we get into the songs? Do we have to? The songs from, from, I mean, this, from this album that's that's by the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The album is using, is using that term very lightly. I mean, yeah, fair, but... Uh, it's ten songs. Come it's thirty-seven on. minutes. It, it we got. We got to go. Album. We got to do it eventually. Otherwise, it's just going to be us being like, "Remember this. Remember this. Remember this. Remember the good stuff." <laughs> which I guess would do. just make. Which I guess would just make it a podcast. But still. 
Yeah, we're we're doing right. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles revisionist history here. <laughs> <laughs> Works for me. So a lot All more right. fun than No, we have to album. tell the truth. <laughs> fun. Member berries. <laughs> yeah, I want right. to go back to the member berries. Here's track number one, the title track, titled Coming Out of Their Shells. Hear the rhythm and you're moving your feet. Ain't nothing like a song with a beat. We're coming out up from under the street. Lord, we're ready to rock. There will be no retreat. We're coming out of our shells. Oh, yeah! <laughs> Strap in, boys and girls. Your mom and pop aren't getting back from Red Robin until nine. <laughs> so this this, this is, is our big opener. Children. This is our big opener and presumably mission statement for the soundtrack. A fairly decent, if very, very meat-heavy standard like acoustic number. This is their album opening equivalent to like Where the Streets Have No Name, except sung by what I'm assuming is a Lindsey Buckingham impersonator. Good God. Uh, I was having trouble finding any credits on this record. Uh, were you able to like find out who the band was at all? Yeah, my, my go-to is Discogs, and I was able to find like some uh, production credits there, but I'll get into that later, but it's not like... It's not like a good sort of treasure trove of big names or anything like that. Like we're not getting John Bon Jovi or anything. Uh, oh no, no, not not like the Star Wars album, no. Or or a young um, Ed Kowalczyk. Star Wars album? <laughs> Do I even want to know about that? Oh, uh, we did uh, earlier in the year. We did a review of the Star Wars Christmas album that was released in like 1985. I want to say, oh, and it has no, a young. It has a young John Bon Jovi singing vocals on one of the tracks because it was produced by, like, his cousin. Yeah, pre-Bon okay. Jovi. Pre-Slippery When Wet. Oh, my God. Have, wow. It, I, think we've, I think we've shattered uh, Byron's worldview for a second. Well, you know, if I wasn't agnostic, I would already be, I'd already be losing faith. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Whatever whatever li- shred of faith was left is gone now. <clears throat> yeah. Having listened to the rest of the album, I can pretty confidently say that this track is probably the most conventional and accessible on the record. I mean, just if you take Ninja Turtles out of the equation, what you're just left with is kind of a Radio Disney approximation of what rock sounds like. That sounds like a fair assessment. Like, th- like which is to say this is what boardroom executives think that tweens think that this is what rock sounds uh, like. Yes. Yeah, on the other hand, there is a lyric about how singing in the sewer is a wonderful sound, which, um, don't. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that, kids. Don't do that. I don't, I don't care what kind of music concrete project is going on. Just, just don't. I mean, oh, I if, the kid's a little, if the kid's a little shit, they can do whatever they want, but. <laughs> well, sure. Kids gotta learn. Yeah, send them down yeah. in the sewer. See how you like your singing voice there. <laughs> well, you know, when they're, never mauled, gonna... when they're mauled by sewer rats for no apparent reason. <laughs> this is nothing like the cartoon. <laughs> it's kind of disarming, actually, how conventional this song is, considering it's part of a live Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles stage show. Until you consider the live version, which used a different mix of the track. I have a clip of that, too, right here. Oh, Here's Jesus. the... Re- 
here's the rock mix of coming out of their shells that was used in like the actual live stage show proper. Once we got started, you knew that we scored. Learning the music and finding the chords. We just kept practicing, we stayed on the ground. Singing in the sewer is a wonderful sound. <laughs> okay, so one positive I can take from this: the drums, the drums are pretty dope. Everything oh, yeah, those... else was complete. Everything else was utter shite. Yeah, the the drums are like Hugh Padgham as hell. Oh yeah, no, the, those are totally like Tama electric drums. Those are great, like like Bill Bruford style. Uh, wow, yeah, I mean that was, that that's a little looser than the uh, than the studio version. Yeah, that yeah, was that... like the most enthusiastic part of that song the locals mm. were just like lifeless and mediocre singing at best yeah that's the rock mix that opened the live show this album was attached to that as part of a promotional consideration was included in jukeboxes in several dine-in pizza huts across the country oh, because right. they, because they were the sponsor of the tour right right that's right which is funny because the film had come out earlier that year and the dominoes was in that oh yeah that's right oh man this i actually do have like a fair memory of that whole campaign though because i remember wanting that v that vhs so badly because i grew up dirt poor and there was no way in hell i was ever gonna be able to see that live show Hmm. (laughs) so it's definitely interesting and let, let me tell you, just when you hear the version used for the live performance, just, oh boy, these singers did not care for anything but their paychecks. Especially <laughs> when they all come back together to sing the, oh, the shells. You could hear them just kind of toppling over each other. <laughs> I mean, there's only so much critical thought that can be given to songs made as accompaniment for a stage show franchise cash-in. Yes. So... I'd say now's the time for us to steal ourselves, really. Here we go. Because this is easily one of the least goofy tracks on here. Yeah. So what? Yes, yes, it is. From what That's I can recall. That's saying a lot. So what do you say we move on to track number two? If we must. All right. Here's track number two, titled "Sing About It." Just sing about it. Okay, so what we have here is like the first of many songs that resemble the backing tracks to so many Wendy's training videos. Mm. I'm just that like pretty gross. I'm or like maybe, or maybe it's like '80s Christian pop or something. <sighs> I'm really confused about the narrative here. Uh, what does this have to do with turtles? Well, like the singing? whole conceit around the whole conceit around it is that like I actually have the canonical narrative of the live show that I took from the Ninja Turtles fan wiki, Turtlepedia. That might uh, be the artic- Yeah, the article on the Coming Out of Their Shells tour describes the stage show thusly. Uh, the Ninja Turtles have decided to travel around the world to meet their fans face-to-face, singing songs they wrote such as Coming Out of Our Shells, Pizza Power, Skipping Stones, Walk Straight, and Tubin. 
Though while the turtles are enjoying their time singing and dancing for the fans, Shredder decides to make an attempt to stop the turtles from making people happy. Shredder, with the help of Baxter Stockman, comes forth with his deharmonic convergence converter. Using this device, they will steal all the music in the world. It also weakens the turtles if they stand in front of it. Once Shredder arrives on stage with the deharmonic controller, the turtles have to retreat and come up with a plan to save the day. Yes, of course. Oh, awesome. So he just has like a giant DSer that he's going to like throw over everybody and it will destroy all yes. sound waves. Uh, if, if, if they stand in front of it. Uh, yeah, wow. so you, you can't just this- decide to be a touring band, though. Like, that takes, like, years. You got to practice. You got to, like... No, no, no. Don't use logic here. Yeah, Pat, that, w- that would ruin the whole conceit of the thing. Don't use logic here. It's okay, Pat. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm really just, I'm trying to understand the story. So now they're, they're going to sing about why? singing. Because it, it, why else would I be doing this? I, I really want to find meaning. <laughs> Dude, have you ever read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Oh, yes. Sure. So you should understand there's no point in finding meaning in anything. Just saying. Don't panic. Uh. <laughs> Yes. The entire recorded stage show is available to watch on YouTube, though I wouldn't necessarily recommend it because it's exactly what you'd assume. Unless you're like really drunk and or high. Yeah, or you're just the most rabid completist there is because it's pretty much exactly what you'd assume a franchise cash-in stage show would be. Just awkward and really difficult to look at. Like, just imagine a bunch of guys uncomfortably dancing around to pre-recorded backing tracks in big, bulky costumes that don't fit properly. That's what a... The fucking turtle suits is just what's oh, killing me yes. about this whole thing. <laughs> Those are terrifying. The the earnestness of the songs, like, in, what like, putting that juxtaposed with, like, these guys just dancing around these, like, bulky, poorly made turtle costumes is... Like, really pretty hilarious to me. Yeah, if you see pictures of them, they're actually, like, they're actually incredibly poor quality, especially compared, like, even compared to, like, the diminishing quality that they would get as there were more films. (laughs) They just kept using the same costumes. Almost, yeah, they're even worse than the Next Mutation costumes, if you you remember that series. I do remember that series. I wish I didn't, because I remember it being kind of dumb. I'm sure, like, there wasn't a huge, like, budget allocated to the music portion of, of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise, so that probably explains why the, the suits were of poor quality. Yeah, th- that mm. would make sense. Although, to be fair, in hindsight, I'm like, looking back, it had a very strong Five Nights at Freddy's feel to it. Hmm. I wouldn't have thought of that, but I can see that now. Yes. You're like, welcome. Like, espe- especially, I will say, and if you want to, like, pull the chat up real quick especially if you've seen the cover art for the thing itself or like I, I forget if this was the cover art for the for like the actual album or for the poster i'm gonna post it in the chat if you want to take a look at it oh uh, yeah i yep let me know when you see it oh God. i see it Kill look at that it before it breeds just just look at that michelangelo's horrifying rictus kill it before it breeds it's going to eat everyone just gonna just turn holding, into, just gonna turn into pizza <laughs> toppings. Just holding out that guitar, going like, "Hello, 
I found this in a ditch. Coming out of my chalet, I be doing just fine. Gotta, gotta be down because I want it all. <laughs> That's me, Michelangelo. Come on, get some pizza. Pencil power. That's what you like, right? And I'm having a slice, Ooh. and she's having a slice, and she's taking a... Oh, I, don't know. I don't know how to complete Christmas. this. <laughs> I don't even now, know. I recognize the folly of saying a song intended for a stage show for children isn't very good, but sing about it isn't very good. Like I mentioned, the last track could have easily just been a regular old soft rock radio track with no pretense towards being a Ninja Turtles tie-in. And this one kind of is too, but it's kind of going too far in that direction. Yeah, like it, it's, it's just, a little more obvious that it, that it's a children's novelty song uh, versus mm. the last one was, was more earnest. It's just kind of a pretty uninteresting and just generic song that's trying to do all the 1980s tropes at the same time. Like, <laughs> I, I can kind of detect some hints of like Depeche Mode and Oingo Boingo going on with those low choir samples. And it's being delivered in a distinctly in excess fashion while the guitars are unmistakably Pat Benatar 80s ballad. Oh, yeah. And it all just kind of comes together to form something imminently forgettable. Yeah, there's a lot of Lindrum and, 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 and like Fairlight samples or, or even maybe like Emu emulator samples. And yeah, be, because so it was of that. essentially the musical equivalent of Nina Tucker. I guess it was. <laughs> yeah, but Too soon. Too soon. I don't know. Also, like, something that really bothered me about this song, there's no bass for some reason. And that just really annoyed me. Oh, they're trying to do the uh, when doves cry thing, but uh, bad. I mean, that wasn't what I was thinking, but that just makes me dislike it even more. <laughs> uh, stay in your lane, Ninja Turtles soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that's yeah. Don't, don't try to do prints if you don't have stay to. Stay in your stay in your weird lane. Your weird specific lane. <laughs> All right. Shall we move on to track number three? Yeah. All right. Track number Jesus. three. This one titled Tubin. Oh God. comes the bong why didn't i think of that <laughs> yeah this is so, my favorite so far <laughs> so i assumed from the title at first that this was a song about inner tubing but not as such you see the titular tubing in fact refers to surfing in an underground sewer tunnel in a sewer so that, tube that's, so that's that's cool to someone a specific activity <laughs> an, an illegal activity i assume so instead of surf's up it shits up I, oh, yeah. I guess so. Sewage up. Ride the I mean, wave. This is probably giving it way more credit than it deserves, but kind of reminds me of Surfing the Alien by Joe Satriani a little bit. In fact, I might go so far as to say the arrangements in this song, guitars, drums, and the whole lot, don't actually sound half bad. Like, I feel like if you remove the vocals about surfing in sewage and made it just an instrumental song in a similar vein, it'd probably sound pretty cool. You know what it kind of reminds me of... There was this uh, one-off Jetsons movie called Rockin' with Judy Jetson, and mm-hmm. they had a song called Surfing in Space. That's what this reminds me of. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. 
Yeah. But I, I mean, the, the guitar lick was like super cheesy, but also like kind of clever at the same time. And hmm. I don't know, it, it, it was definitely it was fun when it came on. I was like, this is so stupid. <laughs> As it is, this is still a Ninja Turtles tie-in song, so it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, that's what we're working with here, kids. Yeah. I also learned from the Turtlepedia entry on the record that Michelangelo sings lead on this track where the last two were sung by Raphael. Oh, because thank that, you. That, because that makes a difference. There, yeah. was, there was a difference. <laughs> sure there was. Well, yeah. I mean, Leonardo is clearly the John Lennon while Raphael is the George Harrison. And, and Donatello has a beautiful choral falsetto. Yeah. He would be so he would be completely inappropriate here. I kind of was thinking that Mikey that Mikey would be the Ringo. I mean, I mean no, he'd be the he'd be like no, Donnie would be the Ringo. I'm sorry, my brain is mush. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to fault you for for tripping over which turtle is which beetle. <laughs> See, I, I I would think that Michelangelo would be Ringo. Like they're, they're both like kind of just there to to have yeah, a good time bo- and eat they're pizza. They're both the go- they're both the goofy ones. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and you know He's how much Ringo loves pizza. He was also the heart of the team, though. Well, I mean, Ringo was kind of the heart of the Beatles in a lot of ways. That's Very true. Um, Raphael is definitely George Harrison. Yeah. Cool but rude. And. So I guess that leaves Donatello and Leonardo to duke it out over who gets to be uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney. I think Donatello is. Uh, <clears throat> I think Donatello is fucking uh, McCartney. Uh, right, because he went on to write that Christmas song with the keyboard. Right. Yes. Was Don- Donatello was the like kind of like nerdy, inventive one, right? Yes. Yes. So we alluded to this earlier. As with every album, I like to take a second to give a shout-out to some of the lesser-known session names behind these records where I can, and see if there are any hidden prolific session guys among the ranks of this naked cash-in. And for that, I turn to the album's page on Discogs. Unfortunately, the majority of the session musicians on coming out of their shells either got no major credits or were mostly consigned to local releases. So there's not a whole lot of interesting bacon numbers going on here. That's disappointing. Yeah, and I couldn't even like point out like what the core band was because there were multiple people doing like guitars and vocals on multiple tracks at different times. Probably ruined all these people's careers. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, if, I they mean, were there, if they were just there for that, a paycheck, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Yeah, they got what they came, they got what they came for. That's that's not to say that there weren't any interesting names. Uh, the album one of the producers of the album was a guy by the name of Steve Lieber, who was uh, normally a manager, but over the years has managed the likes of Aerosmith, Ted Nugent, The Scorpions, and Def Leppard. Which you know, oh. lateral move right there. I don't know about tur- Turtles to Nugent. I, I think is a step down. <laughs> yeah. A yeah, bit. that's fair. It also features keyboards by a guy named John Philip Chanel, who's also done session keys work for Jane's Addiction, Tracy Chapman, Rick Springfield, and Robert Cray, among others, as well as bass contributions by William Spaceman Patterson, who toured with Miles Davis in the 1980s and did session work for Teddy Pendergrass, Sly and Robbie, and more recently Frank Ocean, which is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Like, I tend to imagine any time this album gets funky, that's probably some of William pa- William Patterson's bass work. All right. That makes perfect sense. For much of the rest of the session people attached, the album would pretty much be their biggest credit to date, which, good on them for earning a, ch- a paycheck, but still kind of a huge bummer in terms of being taken seriously, I imagine. Mm. Yeah. A big risk I'm, I'm just, to play those Turtle songs. Yeah. Oof. I'm, I'm just... 
I'm just joking, of course, because we all know the instruments were performed by the power quartet of Leonardo, Donatello, Raphael, and Michelangelo. Don't ever get that twisted. Duh. Keep up the the charade. Yeah, the bowel-shaking bass of of Donatello. (laughs) The competent drum work of (laughs) Michelangelo. (laughs) There's more Simpsons for you. Oh, yeah, squeezing them all in. Yeah, oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. All right, here's track number four. This one, oh, boy. Uh, get ready for some whiplash. Here's track number four, titled Skipping Stones. Hello, uh, every single 70s hard rock band transitioning meshily into the 1980s. There's yeah. that Yamaha DX7. Jesus Christ, we needed it. <laughs> well, sure, because it's the 90s now. Or, you know, those or, or you know those late 80, early 90s duet. Just, oh, mid, absolutely. Duet songs, yep. Like the theme song you know, to that, Another World. Yeah, they're like, you would hear those over the end credits to like... The Disney version of I don't know, kidnapped or something. We also had uh, Janie got a gun, which came out like a year before, totally influencing those those little like bass twangs that happened. Yes, throughout oh, this song. totally. I mean, I'll say this for the backing track: it's at least interesting. By say, by interesting, I mean to rhyme with baffling, but it's interesting because, <laughs> like, like we said. Yeah, like we said, it's kind of straddling the ri- the line between 80s power ballad and some kind of weird wall of voodoo wandering through the desert pop kind of thing with all the like occasional swooshy effects every so often. And those little those little droplet noises too. Bing, bing. <laughs> I I assume those are the titular stones. Yeah. That's what I thought too. But that that vocal delivery. Oof. That geriatric vocals. Like, it's the kind of stuff that would make Bruce Springsteen, Mark Knopfler, and Tom Waits all go, guys. <laughs> Too much. Too much. Oh, I fucking love it. <laughs> and, like, the cherry on top of this surreal pageant. According to Turtlepedia, this is supposed to be sung by the Turtles' father figure and master, Splinter. What? Because why not? Why not give him this weird Tai Chi song with vocals by Coors? Yeah, I was gonna say it doesn't. He doesn't. Splinter usually have like more of a bass or baritone voice. Yeah, in the cartoon, like Peter Renity's voice was a little more kind of. It was a little more sort of you know wizened and stuff like that. Also, and in I like think, the movies and other incarnations. And I think up to this point in the stage show, they pretty much kept that up for talking, and then all of a sudden he just turns into you know. B-grade Steve Tyler right here. <laughs> Donatello's got a gun. <laughs> like, I haven't got s- a bow. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the cartoon in a while, but I definitely remember... But yeah, I definitely remember the character of Splinter being more spiritual and philosophical, regularly engaging in proverbs and stuff. So I can only imagine, like, the conversation that took place prior to this song. Just like, my sons always remember... There is no monster more dangerous than a lack of compassion. Perhaps this song will sum up my thoughts better. 
Whoa, 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 what's that? What's this? Sorry, I've been it's really I, into Michael Bolton lately. <laughs> Why? I've been listening. I've been listening to a lot of Neil Diamond. <laughs> I heard hey. you guys were doing a, a band, and I thought, yeah, no, thanks, but no, Dad, no. Oh, I'm man. all set, Dad. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're good here. Raspy as hell vocal deliveries aside, I think this one is actually fairly decent, all things considered. Like, it sounds like it could be one of Dire Straits' lesser songs. Like, I bet, I bet if you put this in front of someone who had no idea what a Ninja Turtles was, like, they couldn't tell this from, say, Portobello Bell. So the fucking Mark Knopfler knockoff today. Come on. Like, uh, Mark Knopfler insults today. Fucking, you know, I've been, I don't know. I've been jamming out to Dire Straits. <laughs> That's hilarious. You're cracker. I appreciate you're, it. You're going to be Dire Straits' adamant defender? I, I am going to die on the Dire Straits hill. <laughs> Fair enough. I've never listened to Dire Straits, so I, I'm just kind of in the backseat in this conversation. I mean, Dire Straits are one of those bands where, like, if you think you've never heard them, there's a chance you may have heard them without realizing it just because they're so prevalent on, like, classic rock radio. Yeah, you've heard a few of their, their singles, probably. Mm. Fair enough. But if it's not, dad rock. But, but if not, then whatever. It's 2020. That shit's uh, like over 30 years old by now. Uh, Pushing 40, yeah. Uh, mm. So, yeah, I, I I kind of agree with you that like the the like the soundscape was like kind of interesting on this song. Like, yeah, we're, we're getting these sort of like weird synthy uh, uh, like like sort of visual soundscapes, atmospherics, that, atmospherics happening. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah. Uh, you were talking about the vocal delivery and like I can't remember anything about it come to think of it uh, there, there's just so much that was forgettable I, I only listened to to this like once all the way through uh, mm. and, and yeah just, I'm, I'm not really recalling anything about the vocal delivery on this song so it's a good thing you wrote that down mm. well I mean like for some of the songs on here once is all you need just for some of them like Sing this like, next song oh here we go I mean I think things have gotten just a little too earnest for a stage show based on a Saturday morning cartoon, I'd say. No kidding. How about, <laughs> how about some of that premium grade cheese for track number five? All track right. number five, this one titled Pizza Power. Oh, there it is. Taste that sharp, stretchy cheese right there. It's still too fucking earnest, though. It sounds, it sounds like Glenn Fry. Really? <laughs> I mean, really, besides the, the lyric pizza party, like <laughs> the feel of the song power. Is, is pizza power, whatever the fuck. I don't pizza even care. Power. This is all a waste of time. I That's mean, one this... of the songs I remember from the commercials for this for this video. Yeah, they reused it as the opening title music in the Turtles in Time arcade game, yes, too. Yes, they did. <laughs> yes, they did. Wow. But, I I mean, I kind of disagree with you, Pat, because this is exactly what I think about when I think of a novelty soundtrack album to accompany a Ninja Turtles live stage show. This is kind of more what you were expecting what you paid for here. Yes. And, like, as for the quality of the song, I honestly think it kind of rules for how completely on board with itself it is. All right, fair enough, fair enough. It goes all in. Yeah. 
Like, even if you take away the absolutely balls-nuts vocals about the Turtles' hopelessly desperate addiction <laughs> to New York style... It just, it the just fucking kills me. The delivery just fucking kills me. The, ba- the backing mean, track fair, is like... To be fair, sorry, though, sorry. New York, I mean, to be fair, New York style is the best. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no bones about that. But like this, what the backing track is exactly. What about suburban Massachusetts sub shop shitty Greek pizza? Dying on that. I'm, I'm, I'm not picky. It's pizza. Enjoy your mediocre crust. Except Missouri pizza. That can that can go away. It was Missouri pizza, right? That was the cracker pizza. Oh, the uh, the St. Louis style. Right. Yeah. I also kind of like that garbage too, but. <laughs> but anyway, this backing track is exactly the right kind of '80s, even though it's the '90s now schmaltz that I like. Ooh. Like big discorded guitars next to Hugh Padman's most favorite drum machine of all time, and very blatantly obvious sound blaster bass synths. Mm. Yeah. What like what does it for me the most? However, those orchestral hits at the beginning that sound like they were ripped straight from "It's a Sin" by Pet Shop Boys. Like just listen to how listen to how the song opens. Shit, serious guys. Yes. Oh yeah, that that is the hit sample. <laughs> That's so Absolutely. good. <laughs> so I was thinking of getting lunch a little bit. So I was thinking of getting lunch a little bit later. What do you want to get? Oh, uh, maybe drive through some fast food. What? How fucking I think you dare you? For future. <laughs> yeah, I might need to. I might need to do that just because it's so perfect. Yes. Uh, what else have we got here? Something extra delightful I want to point out about this track. I try to also have Genius.com at the ready so I can cross-reference the lyrics to songs as I listen to them. If you've ever been to Genius.com, you'd also know that registered users have free reign to add annotations to songs if they know some neat backstory or notes they'd That's like to share. That's awesome. The Genius.com entry for Pizza Power, which does exist, by the way, has one contributor who has gone far and beyond to editorialize on so many lines in Pizza Power. So, so in, li- in light of that, this ep- Thank in light of that, this episode is dedicated to you, Genius.com contributor Sean Lightowler. Examples. We salute uh, you. From the, from the first pizza edifying verse that has a stanza that goes, A lettuce leaf and a carrot, maybe a seed from a parrot, Believe me when I tell you, the word gourmet just don't exist. When you click that section, it brings up a chart of what foods to feed a readier slider turtle with the flavor text. The items listed are actually a few of what you should feed an actual pet turtle, as they're much easier to chew and digest than pizza. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Or if you click- Thank you, herpetologist. <laughs> Or if you click on the chorus, which goes, Pizza Power, a flying saucer food delight. Pizza Power, oh, that makes us feel all right. You get this commentary. Contrary to what the song condones, not only is pizza something an actual turtle shouldn't be fed, but pizza is not a very healthy choice of food for people unless you get it with a lot of vegetables and tomato sauce and then cut down on the cheese. Oh, bullshit. Come on. <laughs> cut down on the crust. That The carbs are, what, are what's bad for you. Load up on yeah, the that's very base. true. Human logic again. There we go. The logic. I'm, I'm just still trying though. To poke holes wherever I find them. We all the same. We salute you, Sean Lightowler. Come on the podcast and review Love Beach with us, you coward. Do it. Even even though it. I just pra- even though I just praised you, I'm calling you a coward, Sean Lightowler. Yeah. We, even we, th- even though I've 
even though I've never met you and likely will never meet you in my life. We flip-flop a lot Never say never. (laughs) Yeah. Knowing knowing my luck, I'm going to go to the store, and all of a sudden I'll just get tapped on the shoulder and just be like, hey, I'm Sean Lighthowler. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) He'll be all like, hey, woman, you're talking shit. (laughs) Uh, Rumble's about to go down. Yep. Rumble in the stop and shop. Right. It'll be a grand Uh, old time. uh, Let's move on to track number six. We're already halfway through it. This is a short album. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. We really couldn't handle 16 track albums of Turtle Tunes. Oh, Jesus. Uh, That would be be untenable. Or maybe it's just that we have so little to say about these songs, like, critically. It might be that, too. You never know. Mm. Everyone's performing, Uh, like, just fine like i mean what you know what are we even really dealing with here yeah that's fair all right here's track number six oh boy track number six titled walk straight This is the song This is the song, Pat, that I mentioned in our Slack chat sounded very, very similar to 1980s Stevie Wonder, which is probably incredibly unfair to Stevie Wonder, but just like right on down to the vocal delivery, who, according to Turtlepedia, this song is sung by Raphael this time, mm. and the very unsubtle synth funk with hilarious yet actually kind of rad tremolo, tremolo heavy keyboards going, Bleow! and s- saxophones that sound like novelty car horns. I got some new edition vibes from the from the non-vocal parts. Like, yeah, yeah I didn't think of that, but now I'm starting to hear it, too. It's very New Jack Swingy. Yes. Yeah, I was just going to say it's, it's incredibly New Jack Swimmy. <clears throat> New Jack Swimmy. Swingy. Uh, yeah, that beat <laughs> is is totally New Jack Swinging. Uh, yeah, I, I could hear the Stevie Wonder, uh, the 80s Stevie Wonder vibes, too, with that, with that delivery. So, like, it's equal parts catchy and over the top, and no matter how hard I try, I just can't get Stevie Wonder out of my brain. That's fair. So... I'm just going to say that this is this is canon in my head, where, like, just at this part of the show, literal Stevie Wonder just joins the foursome on stage to jam. Sure or not. <laughs> yeah, oh my it, God. It's, it's better that Anything's way, isn't possible. it? Anything's possible in this day and age. Anything. Like the... Was that the uh, the 99 MTV Movie Awards where, where Stevie Wonder played with Will Smith? Uh, played the Wild Wild West. He, uh, it, w- it had to be like '99. Yeah, because because it, it was sampled from uh, from a Stevie Wonder song, of course, yeah. from I Wish. Uh, but mm. yeah, he, he like played played live with them at, at that show. So yes, uh, trying to see where 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 we could get uh, some oh God. Uh, comedy you're bronze taking, out of that. You're taking you're taking me back to high school with that one. Oh right. Was that, oh, was that the uh, was that the performance where they just flooded the stage with guys in cowboy outfits? Yes, probably. Yes. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, the nineties were interesting. I was in a different place mentally in those days. You know, mm. you, you know, uh, you, you know. I'm I'm not proud of the way I acted, and 
thinking about that song, I get some PTSD. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I'm sure none of us are happy with how we acted as shitty teenagers. Mm. Especially while bad. listening to Big Willie style. Mm. So, I've been spending all this time talking about the soundtrack record itself, but not much talking about the actual legit tour. Um, It was a multi-city affair that I unfortunately couldn't find all the stops for, despite my research. I do know that it made at least stops in Denver, Colorado, and Culver City, California, in addition to the sold-out Radio City Music Hall show in New York. Wow. Wow. And if the tour was anything like the live concert... The show, despite being a major seller, had to have been riddled with all kinds of production flaws, including costumes whose mouths would not sync up to the performers' backing tracks. Songs often got miscued, <laughs> which meant the music started playing before the performers picked up their instruments to pantomime playing them. And as we mentioned before, the costumes themselves were of inferior design, featuring <laughs> turtles' outfits with inexplicable black splotches adorning their skin. <laughs> <laughs> the plague oh my god like it was spray painted oh my god that's so that's so sad so, so we couldn't so, find any evidence of them playing in boston or anything no but i gotta imagine that's a pretty big like that's a pretty big market for you know big amphitheater shows so i gotta imagine they played at i guess it would have been the fleet auditorium still then yeah uh yeah. The, the garden it actually was probably still boston garden at the time. Oh, yeah, probably. So, somehow I don't imagine all those flaws were deal-breakers for young and impressionable Turtles fans. Not though. in the slightest. Eight-year-old me would have been pumped to have seen it, regardless of how bad it is in hindsight. Mm. So, the success of the Coming Out of Their Shells tour was considered enough for a second tour to follow, albeit one that took place on a smaller scale, happening in amusement parks, public malls, and county fairs instead of amphitheaters. Uh, This tour was called the Getting Down in Your Town Tour in 1993. It featured different different actors, different songs, prominently featured the Ninja Turtles character Casey Jones instead of April O'Neil, but no soundtrack album was produced, so I don't even know why I brought it up. Why not, you know? Nice try. (laughs) Can't blame him for trying. Better luck next time. Probably not. See, in 1993, would it have been like a... Would they try to like go grunge or something at that point? I guess so. <laughs> so maybe it's probably maybe. for the best we didn't get that soundtrack. All the turtles in flannel. Yeah. The guys from Candlebox, you know, ghost writ the whole soundtrack. I mean, it makes sense. Like, a 90s turtles in flannel thing, while these ones were like, it's all 80s music, and they're all wearing denim on stage. Right, exactly. You, gotta, gotta you know what would have really been badass? with the zeitgeist. You know what would really be badass? A Ska Turtles album. I'd be all in. I would be all in for that. Like, come on, like a Ska ska arrangement of the original theme song. That would work. The squirrel already kind of has. It already kind of has horn section in it. Yes. (laughs) Just double down on it. Oh boy! Real Uh, big turtle. Pick it up! Pick it up! Indeed. All right, let's move on to track number seven, shall we? <laughs> yes. Oh, ne- never mind. We got to wait for Byron to stop skanking. He's got. The skanking <laughs> hey, yeah, I'm probably the only skanking. person in this. I'm probably the only person in this group who will defend ska to the death. Oh, oh, absolutely not. I had a ska period myself. 
I'm still on my Scott period. <laughs> they will never. I'm, I'm, I'm glad Scott. you guys have it. Mm. Will never anyway, anyway, here's track number seven. This one titled "No Treaties." I guess. Oh yeah. <laughs> no treaties. Like, what does that have to? I, I didn't read the lyrics to this one, but uh, where, where does this tie into Turtle uh, Cannon? I think it's just all about. It's a song about how the turtles are gonna save the day if Shredder comes to wreck shop. Sure. So okay. they're singing about like war crimes and stuff. <laughs> so like, take no prisoners or something. Like, they're I just gonna so. like. <laughs> They're just gonna Abu grave Shredder's whole fucking army. Like that's terrible. Oh, no. Wow. Oh no. Now I have a perfectly firm understanding of entropy and how the passage of time works, but even as early as 1990, when hair metal was only just starting to pack up its things and head out the door, I still find it immensely hilarious to hear things that sound completely removed from the decade that existed in it. Oh, for like, sure. It's the 90s, but it's still the 80s. But in the 90s, but in the 80s. 90s. 80s. Yeah, I mean, hair metal, like, really didn't die out in earnest until, <clears throat> until you know, maybe 92, 93. It, it was still, like, pretty well-liked, in, in, you know, in the suburbs, or, or, you know, in those towns that are always, like, five years behind and everything anyway. Uh, mm. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. So there's a pattern I've noticed with this record, and stop me if like this seems kind of out of line, but the songs on Coming Out of Our Shells, I feel like, are at their most entertaining when caution is just kind of thrown to the wind. Like, what do you got? A stadium rock song about snarfing down pizza? Do it up. A funk fusion track where Ninja Turtles tell you to stay in school? Fund it. Yeah. But how about we just make a standard rock anthem that sounds like rat? Maybe put that one back in the oven for a bit, Jared. <laughs> yeah. See, I was I was left feeling really confused because it's just it's not directly giving me any message about the turtles or or even like wanting to go and buy more of their merchandise. It's just as as a child, I would be very confused by this song. As a thirty five year old, I'm confused by this song. <laughs> That's not really saying much. Not really. As there a- is like oh, sorry. As an almost thirty-eight-year-old, I can definitely say it doesn't make sense. Yeah, there, there is one minor little bit of lip service to the turtles' conceit at the very end, where they just go, "Take that, Shredder." Okay, sure. no treaties, because that's enough for them to go, "Uh, uh dead turtles." That's what the song's about. Yeah. Beauty, mutant ninja turtles. They just like cram one of those in there. No, yeah, the, they should have. They should have baked a little more turtle ideas into this one. I think. Yeah. Something tell me to go out and fucking buy one of their dolls. Something. Hmm. They don't do dolls, Pat. They're they action figures. Action. They do action figures. Yeah, I know. I was there. Did you just call them dolls? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's never going to get old for me. That's too useful. <laughs> it is. That just needs to be a button. Yes. I feel like yes, we're, I up, should, I, <laughs> we're on I really American get a kitchen nightmares right now. <laughs> So I feel like there's very little to be said about this song. So I want to touch briefly on a piece of media released in tandem with the live stage show. Let's hear um, it. A live, ver- a live version of the Coming Out of Their Shells tour, the sold-out Radio City Hall one in specific, was recorded to home video and released as a 90-minute special. To accompany that, a short behind-the-scenes documentary titled uh, The Making of Coming Out of Their Shells was also released alongside it. Don't really? get it twisted. This is not a legit peek behind the curtain into how they designed the costumes oh, and sets with footage of the session musicians performing. It's a mockumentary. Yes, this is a documentary in which everything is done with a completely straight face. Which is to say it goes behind the scenes and into in-depth interviews with the actual literal existent Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles who just decided to hit it big with Rockstardom one day. Fuck you guys. Because protect... Because protecting New York just wasn't doing it for them anymore. The documentary is available to watch in full on YouTube, so if you go track it down, be prepared for scenes of record industry bigwigs astonished at musical prow at the musical prowess as a bunch of comic book reptiles. Sure. Interspersed Yeah. Interspersed with shots of an audience full of very befuddled and confused children and a bunch of guys in big floppy costumes playing the pre recorded music. This is, I would again, have loved to set on set in on the actual recording sessions for these songs. Mm. Oh, to be a fly on that wall for sure. Yes. All right, guys. Well, uh, well, that, that section was pretty peppy, but not not quite uh, turtley enough. You know, let, let, let's take it from, again from from the uh, from from the coda and and, and let's try to really uh, put our, put like, our shells look, into man, it, guys. I got... Right, <laughs> dude. Shut up. <laughs> We're all here. The, produ- for the, the producer was probably like, "Look, I have." The producer was like, "Probably like, I have one hour to to produce something to the big to the execs at a playmate for this." So, <laughs> shit doesn't have to be perfect. Just give me something, man. My job's on the line. The playmates guys are gonna take my thumbs. <laughs> Kevin They're Eastman vicious. is gonna break my legs. <laughs> They're gonna turn me into pizza. Oh, I don't no. want to be pizza. <laughs> also, you learn in it that they gave Leonardo a one-string bass to play. Um, is That's that not a thing? a thing. That's not a thing. That doesn't sound like a thing. That is not. Was he in president to the United States of America or something? <laughs> that dude played a one-string bass. I think. Get bass. That, that that can't be right. That's what presidents of the United thing. States used chords, bass chords. No, it, it was a two stringer. One string bass. That sounds useless. <laughs> yes. You can, that's, you that's, can like on, that's on par with a washtub bass. Yeah, that's basically what it is. <laughs> but yeah, check it out if you want. You can also you're also treated <laughs> to interviews with the characters. <laughs> also worth mentioning, the only people from the cartoon who agreed to provide speaking voices to their characters were Cam Clark, the voice of Leonardo, and Peter Renaday, the voice of Splinter. Everyone else had to wash their hair that day. 
But I'm just picturing it. Speaking of of like the poorly made costumes, like at one point they couldn't even get a proper base for for, for one of the turtles, so they gave him a washed up base to put his just, that visual just fucking killed me. They're they're just like the Teenage Ninja Turtles. Jug time, country time, jamboree band, everyone. What we didn't? This isn't what we signed up for. No, no, we're we're a country band now, guys. That's what we're doing. Here you go. Instead of the here, country band, the country turtles. Here, here's the gut bucket. Exactly. Leonardo on washtub base. Michelangelo ham boning. He's <laughs> wearing overalls well, yeah, with the turtle head. <laughs> So that does that mean that Raphael would be on the jug? I guess so. <laughs> it's just Leonardo ham boning the whole show. <laughs> you know, Donatello would just be on a keyboard still. It'd oh, yeah. be like that one. It'd be like that one King of the Hill episode where Dale goes, "I'll go get my acoustic bass, which is actually a keyboard." <laughs> Oh, yeah, if you do track down this documentary, you'll also be treated to Oscar-grade dialogue like this. You know, at first, I think Splinter wasn't really into the music thing, and we sure thought he wasn't going to be into it at all. Whoa, and if you could have heard us at first, man, we were bad. Like, thank you, dude. Next. But the fact was, he, like, totally got behind it. In fact, I think he digs that we're playing music more than he digs us doing the ninja thing. Yeah, like, you know, he tells us all the time, you can accomplish more more with music than you can with any pair of nunchucks. Totally, dude. Yeah, bodacious! Radical! Happening! Hanging hollow, homeboy! Oh, yeah! Remember that period in the 90s where you could just say adjectives and throw some stees on it and you'd be super cool? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's literally how people talked then. I, you know, my, my, my older sister was like in her 20s at the time. That's literally what all her boyfriends talked like. <laughs> Like, Whoa, little bro! <laughs> totally awesome. Hey, let's go get some Bodacious. pizza. Totally. Gnarly, totally gnarly, bro. Penultimate, superfluous, <laughs> inquisitive. Oh, oh man, I Bodacious. wish penultimate were one of those terms that fucking uh, Ted or Bill used. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like that I used their names out of order, too. Are you referring to Theodore or William? Yes. Those guys. Oh, man. Oh, man. So that, believe it or not, once again, that last track got a little too sincere for my taste. <laughs> I think it's time for more cheese. Yes. yes. I think so. Here's track number eight, titled Cowabunga. And it's bong time again. Woohoo! Uh, you know that's where they that's where I, they hid the cheese. If I if, if I knew that it would have been appropriate to smoke weed, I would have brought my I would have brought my piece with me for this recording. I've smoked enough for both of us. Don't worry. No, I, I need I, it now. I need it bad. I don't even smoke weed, and that's looking pretty good to me right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what? This is what we're dealing with, folks. Uh, we we got a a. a bright little hip-hop number called Cowabunga, uh, mm. sung by all of them, 
are, are they all taking terms like spitting? No, I think it's I think it's only Michelangelo. Ah, uh. it's a Michelangelo solo joint. Man, and guys, I cannot stress enough just how hard it was for me to pick a suitable clip for this track because there's just so much untold amounts of hot fire being spat nonstop. Yeah, they got. For they sure. definitely have bars. Like seriously, Nas, Ghostface. Kendrick Lamar, Biggie, Eminem, Jay Z, move over. They're all scared. They're terrified, quaking in their boots at the verses being tossed their way by large right. green rubber suited men. Like, how could I possibly react to this except to say by playing another clip? Living loose, living large, with my human eye, I'm in charge. It's not that I'm crass, not that I'm rude, it's just that I'm a naturally humorous dude. Turn up the volume, baby, let's pump. See the Foot Clan, man, you know I thump it. Calabunga is my favorite word. I use it all the time. Or haven't you heard? I'm out of control, wild and crazy, hazy, baby, a little bit lazy. Oof. The Beastie Boys just went back in time so they yes. could give up. Man, I'm having I'm having a Mandela moment here. Uh was it the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or, or Bart Simpson who popularized uh Calabunga first? It was like there was a period they were they were they were just both both camps cowabunga egg. Well, I would say that the that the turtles used it more. I think you're right. Yeah, because Bart had, had was also busy asking, uh, requesting that people eat his shorts. Shorts, of course. and also not have cows. Oh yeah, yes. can't can't have them. But like, what year did the Simpsons like come out? Okay, yeah, that, that, that was, was like, 89, 90, so. Yeah, yeah. it was 89. The tur- like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would have been around for two years by that point, so it yes. had to have been. And we'll that's not even better in the comics. Right, that's true. But I think, like, by that point, the comics were still just kind... I mean, I haven't read the comics, but I would assume that they didn't really take on that kind of 90s cool vibe oh, until no. the cartoon show. Because, like, the original comics were meant to be, like, a grim, dark parody of Daredevil. Yeah, well, yes. Yeah. I, I remember they, they uh, the strip actually went on <clears throat> through the early 90s because it, it was in, they, they printed it in the Boston Globe. Uh, really? Yeah. I did not so know that. I, I don't know if they were, if they were, like, reprinting, uh, if they were, like, in syndication, but I, I definitely remember seeing those strips for, for like, you know, a good, <clears throat> good, like, you know, three years through the 90s. Mm. Oh man! Along with Garfield and and Rose's Rose, (laughs) Uh, Rose's Rose. That I never got that strip, but I God, that was creepy. Oh, I can think of so many newspaper comic strips that were just non-starters for me. Good old Foxtrot, non-sequitur, like the the Spider-Man one in New York. You guys ever, you guys ever fuck with pickles? Uh, which one is pickles? The one about like the elderly couple who are just befuddled by everything. <laughs> I don't think I've heard that one. I can only one. imagine. I was a fan of the Lockhorns growing up. <laughs> and Andy Cat. Oh boy. Mmm. Good oh, chips. Yeah, the, the Lockhorns. That's the one where like the wife comes over and is like, "You bought a fucking tuba again," and and the guy has a tuba. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> oh. So, believe it or not, though, this isn't even the hardest display of mic skills to be high lit during the stage show special. Oh, boy. If there's if You're there's kidding. one thing I... 
If there's one thing I will fault this record for, it's for leaving out what is easily the most important track on this record. Here is a song that plays chronologically in the timeline of the live show. The Turtles' nemesis, the Shredder, has shown up, and he's here to wreck shop. No, no. Not this one. And you know what? Not and this you know one, what? please. He has something to say. The gift of song is the gift I curse. I hate music. I said I think it's the worst. <laughs> I hate music. I think it's the worst. <laughs> okay. You went horror. What the fuck was that? I mean, you heard the man. It's time to pack it all in. He said music's the worst. There's no reason why he would lie about it. He's wearing a can opener on his head. I find that kind of funny in general because I actually know I've actually met one person in my entire life that does not like music. So it's really? not that far. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they. It's a thing. Doesn't happen too often, but they just. Like, they have a processing issue where they can't enjoy music like everyone else. Oh, that's very interesting. Yes. Yeah, that is that is very mm. interesting and, and kind of sucks. Yeah. Mm. yeah but You'll, it is what it that, is. They'll never be able to enjoy the stirring rhythms of I Hate Music by The Shredder. Nope. <laughs> They'll never get to enjoy Corey Feldman's... Uh, Magnum opus. Uh, as if anyone can ever truly understand Angelic to the core. Yeah. Oh. He finally moved up, by the way. He had, he had, he yeah, had that, he, he had that number one hit. Yeah, he nice. got that billboard hit, and I see he's not hanging on your couch anymore. No, he, he moved out. That's a shame. Yeah, it's getting lonely around here. I, I've known to eat my stale, to, <clears throat> stale cinnamon toast crunch. That is mm. so precious. Yeah, I have uh, to set him free, though. I mean, maybe that means he'll come back. Like a baby bird. If you if you love something, you set it free, and maybe they'll return. One can only hope. That is mm. such a noble outlook to have. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's. We're starting to reach the end, so let's really start hauling ass here. Here's track number nine, April's Ballad. Oh boy. This, I assume, would be the lighter song of the album, except it's like an audience full of children who are not allowed to have lighters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yes. And Maybe cell phones have haven't lights. been... In, uh, I guess it would have to be flashlights, because cell phones haven't been invented yet. Mm. Yeah, you know, you know what kids love is big halftime torch song ballads. Uh, oh, yeah, they love Pat Benatar. Yeah, the, the, this was like seriously two chords away from being uh, Shadows of the Night. <laughs> uh, and, oh. and like just putting myself in the, the shoes of like a, a like six-year-old that or six to eight-year-old that would be at this show. Like I just couldn't imagine not being monumentally bored by this song. Hmm. It's just so slow and like adult contemporary. Yeah. If nothing else, I do have to give it to the vocalist because she's giving it like so much more effort than like 
I feel like the majority of anyone on this album has. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, yeah. That is so fair. Like she's doing she's very clearly doing her best to elevate it. I don't know how well she succeeds, but you know, it's it's a valiant effort to be sure. Yeah, I mean she she's uh she's certainly trying. Uh, that vocalist, you may be surprised to learn, has quite a bit of clout to her name. I left her out of my bit where I was sifting through Discogs because I specifically wanted to bring her up here during her big solo moment. Uh, the singer putting oodles of drama into a song about April O'Neil trusting the turtles will save her bacon is a woman by the name of Sherry Renee Scott. And she's made a pretty na- noteworthy name for herself in the world of theater, starring in multiple Broadway and off-Broadway musicals, as well as, per- as, well as performing on a slew of cast recordings. Uh, she starred in the original Broadway production of the Dirty Rotten Scoundrels musical Ooh. and has appeared in productions of Grease, Rent, The Little Mermaid, and a whole bunch of others, earning a variety of Tony and Drama Desk Award nominations along the way. Oh. So that's pretty cool. That is. That's probably the most amount of effort that the, that this production actually put in, was actually allowed to have put into it. Yeah, so that's probably worthy of some kudos. So, yeah, kudos to you, Sherry Renee Scott, for putting your all into this and actually trying to give a song about counting on anthropomorphic turtles like some weight. Such well, as I mean, it clearly it paid off. Hmm. Oh yes, you hear that song all the time on. Well, I mean, no, I mean like on, it, on adult contemporary station. That's slipping my mind. <laughs> no, I mean it paid off. It paid off for her own career. Yeah, that's true. I'm sure this was like very early in her career. Like, and the fact that she bounced back into so much bigger stuff is actually kind of uplifting. Yes, uh, a redemption story. Very nice. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Despite being involved with this uh, this risky project, hey, maybe like that's always, the un- like I always say: your past doesn't define you. Hmm. Maybe that's the unspoken storyline that people aren't talking about in the coming out of their shells tour. This is like it wasn't. It was never about the turtles. It was always about Sherry Renee Scott. It was always sure. about the, this tale. This tale of of uh, failure and, and redemption <laughs> of all the, it was, all the session musicians involved. <laughs> it was about the, really. It was about the pizza power we discovered along the way. Oh mm. yes, Cowabunga indeed. I see mm. the next track and I'm I'm dreading it. Oh boy! I see Are the you next sure track. it's the last one? That means I, it's almost I, over. Yes, but I know the track oh too well. Oh boy! Let's get to it then. Speaking of counting uh, yeah. on people, track number ten, uh, final track, count on us. <laughs> I spoke too soon. That's very clearly the lighter song. Yes. Dear God. This is damn Yankees. Like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> uh, more cheese to close us out. And I can think of no better way to do so. Uh, yeah. That was we, something. We, we did it, guys. Oh, boy. We're at the finish line with, with this hunk of meat. 
There is so much stuff going on here. It's got this kind of foot stompy, quiet riot or twisted sister kind of vibe to it. There's like a Bruce Springsteen piano and just all kinds of meadly, meadly Buena Nanu solos. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we can count on the turtles to save the day, right? That That's the story we're getting here. Totally. I mean, I mean you said... You say count on the turtles, but I swear at times it sounds like they're saying tunnels. <laughs> okay. You can count on the tunnels to breed more mutant turtles that will uh, only live to be uh, adolescents. <laughs> That's what they don't tell you is that they die once they finish puberty. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fun for the children. Yeah. I mean, we got to give so, them all facts. Mm, got to learn sometime. Yeah. Something I want to highlight about this one. Uh, as you know, I primarily do my listening to the records we do through YouTube, and I often run into some pretty choice comments. Most of the video's comment sections are of the uh, Still Rocks and My Childhood Persuasion. Here's an exchange I found in the comment section for Count On Us that I think is the biggest face heel turn I've ever seen this week. Uh, user, user Eric at the Beehive writes, I'm 42 and still listen to this. User Penne Snatcher Incorporated, who's also the host of the video, later types, I'd rather listen to techno and EDM over this junk. To which Eric at the Beehive replies, You're a fucking millennial. Go get fucked or lived your pathetic life on Facebook, you idiots with these phones these days. Put you back in our time or the real world. You have no idea what to do. Bunch of millennials are morons. <laughs> Unlike you SJWs, I'm not offended. I'm not that Jesus, one. Eric. I mean, I have so many thoughts on that statement. First of all, if you are old enough to remember this album... You're a fucking millennial. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah, no shit. So, like, that's fucking hilarious. I, I'm 11 years old and, and love this album and Led Zeppelin and Queen. Kanye who? Just so angry <laughs> that, he dared, that, it. that he dared to besmirch this Ninja Turtles album. Man, parasocial relationships are some scary shit. I mean... Yeah, that's what this is, right? Parasocial. I think I think so. Yeah. This is child turtle relationships. Very uh, yes, delicate. it's paraturtle. <laughs> uh, oh boy. I mean, I'll close the book on review. I'll close the book on reviewing this by saying, if you haven't yet had your fill of baffling live-action Ninja Turtles ephemera, there have of course been many other TV specials bearing the characters' sort of steez, including the following. Uh, we wish you a turtle Christmas in which the turtles dec in which the turtles decorate a tree in Times Square, Michelangelo sings opera, and more evidence is given that the whole thing is just some weird evangelical thing going on. Sure. Uh, turtles Tunes, which features several children's songs rewritten in a Ninja Turtle style, promising cowabunga melodies in songs like It's a Pity When the City Isn't Clean. <laughs> and perhaps the most befuddling to me at least is Operation Blue Line which in spite of the name isn't a show where the turtles are revealed to be a bunch of bootlickers but instead <laughs> but instead teaches children about fast and efficient methods of public transit including the RTD Metro Blue Line in California ah. they got around everywhere they, they taught kids how to get to Wonderland in Boston by taking the Blue Line mm. Every, everyone's favorite MD, MBTA line 
Yes, everyone gets New England jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, Michelangelo, aren't you buying a ticket? Don't have to, dude. I already bought an RTD monthly pass. What? Yes. <laughs> I already what? bought a Charlie ticket, bruh. <laughs> Only cost 300 bucks a month. I a Charlie card. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know. Yeah. At Danny, I know. Um... Uh, I think we might have broken Byron a little bit. Uh, something like Not that. Not surprising. Uh, but it's finally over, though, which means we can finally get to our our closing thoughts. Uh, Patrick, <laughs> Patrick, Patrick, yeah. do you consider this a worst of all time record? Uh, I mean, no offense to all the session players that that you know I I hope were well compensated for their work. Uh, this is probably one of the worst things I've ever heard uh, for a few reasons. Uh, I just found the whole thing to be a waste of time because there wasn't really it, it just like it took itself too seriously. It was too earnest. It, it was trying to trying too hard to be a serious thing when like I just wanted there to be turtles. I was just waiting for there to be more turtle references and there just wasn't enough. It, it was just like really shitty adult contemporary which frankly if I were a kid I would be bored to hell by uh, I think anyone who has any sort of nostalgic enjoyment out of this is doing it you know purely out of uh, Stockholm Syndrome or something or only having like a limited amount Ouch. of tapes to watch as a kid because <laughs> yeah, I just can't picture this being any I just it just seems pointless like we have like go watch the series go watch the movies there, there's plenty of other media you you can do to enjoy this franchise That's far superior. Uh, this is yeah and mm. and i think this branch of it is just was, was just poorly thought out and i just i can't get over what an enormous waste of time that like all mm. 38 minutes of this thing was uh same question for you byron do you think it's a worst of all time record uh i mean it's pretty bad there's no argument there um it, I mean, as a critic of a various aspects of pop culture, I will say that I'm. It's offensive in a way where it's children's where it's that level of children's entertainment where corporate America doesn't seem to respect the intelligence of children. It's the low. It's like it's low hanging fruit. It's the lowest common denominator. It's just it. It's a product of its time as well, which I hate using that term to describe to describe IPs of any in any form. But it is. It's like it's like the it 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 is that same mentality that like the movie movies had in like the early aughts, where it's just like. This is popular. Let's cash in on it. Oh yeah. <clears throat> and it's like, yeah, me as a little kid, I would have eaten it up because I didn't know any better. I was like, hey, I was fine. I'm like, this is fun. I I don't know how I would have reacted if I had seen it then. But what I was able to watch from commercials and everything, I thought it was cool, concept wise. But I also realized that I wasn't capable of the critical thinking needed to assess it in such a way. So, I mean, I'll never know how my younger self would have would have truly accepted it. 
because there are certain pieces of media that I remember watching as a kid and just thinking, eh? Like, for example, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. I was, like, in middle school, and I was in middle school, like, almost a freshman. And I remember watching that first time, and was like, wow, this is bad. So, it's possible to dissect certain things regardless of age. Hmm. So, in that sense, I think maybe I might not have liked it as much. I might have gotten bored with it. All I know is, like, to me today, I, I, it's pretty, it may not be the worst album of all time, but it's a front runner. Hmm. Yeah, I agree that if nothing else, it doesn't really have any staying power. Um, as for me, I feel the same feelings for this that I felt when we did the Hulk Hogan album so very long ago. Oh, God. In that, despite the fairly glaring lapses in quality at times and naked merchandising at play, it's not worst of all time material necessarily. It's not good. But at the same time, it wouldn't really matter if it was because it's just extremely dead set on pulling off one very specific thing. And that's entertaining, undiscerning Turtles fans in the 90s. And, well, sold-out radio music hall. I think that's, I think they pulled it off handily. Yes. What I wasn't expecting, however, was the actual skill and craftsmanship that went into the backing arrangements and their performances, for the most part. Like, as I mentioned before, with the exception of John Philip Chanel, William Patterson, and Sherry Renee Scott, mm. the session players, unfortunately, would continue to wallow in obscurity, and that's a real shame, because I feel like there's some actual legit skillful musicianship happening on some of these tracks that really shouldn't exist on something that's all about marketing and branding, and yet, there it is. It's just, it's just wild is all. That's fair. Hmm. All right. What would you say is the best or least bad track on this album, Patrick? Uh, <clears throat> I, I'm going to say real quick, I, I think the Hulk Hogan record is superior to this one. I don't know if you agree Fair with enough. Those. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to go with Tubin. Uh Man, it, it was a dumb track, uh, but that but that riff was, was pretty stupid and, and kind of obnoxious in, in a good way. Uh, oh, they, they were all dumb tracks. Oh, they were all dumb, but that one, this one had like the most thrust for me, I guess. Yeah. All right. Uh, same question for you, Byron. What would you say is the best or least bad track? Uh, as far as sound quality, I'm going to say April's Ballad, but as far as overall production, I would say uh, the live version of Coming Out of the Shells. Hmm, interesting. Hmm. All right, and what would you say is the worst track, Pat? Oh, what's your favorite track? Oh, crap. Uh, yes. My favorite is Pizza Power. <laughs> Fair enough. Asked and answered. Anyway, worst track, Pat, go. Uh, I'm going to go with April's Ballad. Uh, I mean, no, no offense to the singer, I just think it had no place on a ch on a children's album i would have been so fucking bored if if i were at a concert i would have been fucking pissed that i had to sit through that all right uh same question for you byron worst, worst track on the album worst track on the album um i hate music as like as a hip-hop snob i a poor shitty rap with a passion like i could like do an entire episode 
on how much I hate Christian rap. For that same, <laughs> like, for that same reason, I'm kind of just like, you know, hip hop is the voice of a community, and when people or it's it's, it's some it's an artist telling their story, bearing their soul. So when I see when I hear trash like this, where they're just like trying to sell a product or trying to like push an agenda it really grinds my gears so hmm. yeah it was it and it's it's a close tie with uh what's the uh, what's the what's the other rap song cowabunga yeah because it kind of still ha- that's just as much product placement as i hate music in my opinion mm. yeah if not more yeah, i'm gonna modification th- of, of hip-hop yeah yes look at you flow rider <laughs> I'm gonna say my pick for worst track is "Sing About It," just because that's the one that I remembered the absolute least about, and thus just you know left the least amount of impact. Mm. And we are done. We made it through coming out of our shells. Thank you very much mm. for joining us, Byron McNeil. Yes, glad thank to you. be here. Glad to be here. You know? Uh, do you have any? Sorry. No. Yeah, um, do I have any other? Do I have anything else I want to add? Uh, um, I was, I was, I was going to ask if you had anything you want to plug, but if you want to go ahead and say what you want to oh, add, go for it. Um. Well, I'll plug the site that I write for nerdcaliber.com. We uh, before we generally cover reviews in tech, gaming, movies. Um, before the pandemic broke out, we did conventions too, but. No telling when that's mm. going to start up again. Um, I have a, a modest YouTube channel, which I would love to get more follows on. Byron D Zero. Uh, I have a Twitch stream that I do occasionally, but I've kind of lost some steam there. But you know, if interest starts, if someone can motivate me with some level of interest, I'll start doing live draws there again. Um, mm. And uh, also the Weep Trash Can podcast, we've been on a hiatus for more than a few months. But when I can pull, when I can pull my head out of my ass, I'll get, there'll be a new episode soon. Mm, very cool. Uh, you have anything you want to plug, Pat? Uh, yeah, just check out all the other uh, check out Old Man Yellow Cloud, the other podcasts that I do on this network, uh, and I'm also. Me and Christopher are also starting a new podcast. We uh, must watch movies, uh, where Christopher makes me watch a movie. Uh, he's a big film buff. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a film not buff. Uh, so he he he's making me watch some like you know Criterion Ooh, level films that to, to get my stupid uh, you know Nimrod brain opinion on it yeah it's fun uh, we just did Citizen Kane uh, uh, did that with my wife Gina Monifo and that episode should be out on May 28th uh, so yeah check that out if you, need, if you need guests for that one I love talking about movies Oh hell yeah, yeah! I I will I will definitely hit you up. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm definitely looking for guests. So uh, yeah, Excellent. I'll uh, I'll mm. keep you in mind. Um, I'm gonna plug the uh, we're in this together compilation. Uh, that's yeah, yeah, the yeah. Uh, 
That's the compilation record that like you and I contributed to with a bunch of other New England musicians. Going to raise money for COVID through the WHO's COVID relief fund. Go look that up. We got a nice little write up in Vanyaland a while ago, which was pretty nice. Our friends over at uh, Unseen also gave us a shout out. And podcast wise, I would say go check out the other Zero Science podcasts and. Uh, I'm in the midst of working on a new podcast with a uh, friend of the show, Scott Curlin, that we're probably going to be piloting pretty soon. Oh, I'm actually I'm going to be on a future episode of uh, Writer's Bagel Basket, actually, for uh, Oliver and Company. Uh, that's oh, heck yeah. Out this month too. Yeah. That sounds fun. So, yeah, yeah let's just to talk about all sorts of movies these days for some reason. Yeah, let's just make that a stealth plug. Go check out Writer's Bagel Basket, too, because Scott's our friend. Yes. All right. Our theme song is Sunny Day by the band Froggy and the Friendship. Check them out at froggyandthefriendship.bandcamp.com. If you have an album you want to suggest for us to review or just want to leave us some feedback or a comment, I have email one. us at... Uh, oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, the Macho Man Randy Savage album, the, the one that he recorded before Ooh. his death. Oh, the one where he's doing hip hop. I think that might actually be on our to do list already. Ooh, I want to be. I yeah. want in on that, please. Okay, we'll keep you in mind for that for sure. Sweet. Seems very appropriate. I think our friends over at Make It Stop already did that, but that's never stopped us before. <laughs> they, well, they also did this album, so fuck that's it. true. Yeah, I mean, whatever. With Scott Carland. Actually, yeah, there's, there's more than enough room in this world for multiple people to comment on the same albums. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where the hell was I? <laughs> uh, if you have an album you want to suggest for us to review or would like to leave us some feedback or a comment, email us at jukeboxzeroespodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash jukeboxzeroespodcast or on Twitter at twitter.com slash jukeboxzeroes. Uh, find us, rate us, review us, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Or check out our archive main page and other great podcasts at the Zero Science Network main page, zero-science.com. And that about does it for this episode of Jukebox Zeroes. I'm Lels. And I'm Patrick. And I'm remember... Thank you so much. Uh, I was going to ask you to do it. Beautiful. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Good night. Definitely happening musically. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.